0: Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Philly Experience Podcast. My name is Max Gretzula, joined by Tyre Hill from WIP and from WHIP, Tanner Martin, Gentlemen, another crazy week as far as Eagles, Sixers, and Phillies go. Philly's going to play a doubleheader today, and the Sixers obviously had that big matchup coming up with the Brooklyn Nets and the Eagles. An interesting report coming out from a few writers in the area about the turmoil oil inside the Eagles locker room I'm sick of this Uh, I want to start out with the Eagles just because of the fact the draft's approaching so quickly but first I got to ask you guys how you're doing and what your mindset is with all this stuff going on in Philadelphia
1: sports the sound drop speaks for itself other than the Eagles I'm, I'm good I like the fact that you know the Phillies are starting off the way they have and I can't wait for the Sixers playoffs. I really can't this matchup as we're getting to a little later against Brooklyn, this run that I, I think everybody's going to really tune in and pay attention to. So, yeah, I'm ready to go.
2: Things are getting intense. You mentioned that the Sixers season is closing, the regular season, and the Eagles draft is approaching. I'm getting excited. Um, but you know, once that draft day comes, I might be, I might not be as excited, but we'll see. No, unfortunately
0: that's fair. And listen, I know, I know I don't want to, I don't want to bring down the mood early on in the show because that's the last thing that's on my mind right now. But I have to ask you guys about the report that just came out, you know, fresh off the print and multiple reporters in this say that the Eagles front office and Coaching staff with regard to Doug Peterson and even some players with Carson Wentz weren't on the same page. And as the 2020 season went on, things kind of just continued to break apart. So, see, if you want to start here, give the audience just a general rundown of everything that happened as far as what the reporters said. And I don't want to leave them out here. Shilkapadia, I know he's one of them. Zach Berman's the other one. And then there was one more that that we discussed pre show. It was Wolf. Yeah, exactly. So, just give the audience, you know, a little rundown, a quick a quick trip down memory lane, so to speak.
1: So, for anybody that's basically living under a rock in terms of Philadelphia sports, there is this article that came out um, from the Athletic, as Max just mentioned. Um, it was produced by Shil Kapadia, Bull Wolf, and um, Zach Berman, and it's pretty damning. It's as a matter of fact; it's it states the state of affairs of the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of how the power structure is within the Nova care complex. And it, it really explains a lot. And It is, it, it's, it's, there's some damning things in this article. So I, I picked out a couple of, a, a couple of, you know, parts of the article. So in this particular part that I'm about to describe, it talks about how, Um, during the championship year, the the year the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017. You know, it it talks about some of the things that Doug Peterson even had to go through. Um, So here's what the article says. In fact, the championship season began with many in the building wondering whether Peterson would even last a year. Doug Peterson was in question of being (laughs) not even lasting within that year. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you guys remember, but that year before the season even started, there was like a a reported three-hour meeting with Jim Swartz without Doug Peterson being there. That says something. That, let me just continue reading the, this part of the article. So it says, okay, it, the three-hour meeting with Jim Swartz. The specifics were unknown, but multiple sources said that there was a feeling around the team that Lori was vetting an in-house replacement for Peterson in the event the Eagles got off to a slow start. After the Week 1 victory in Washington, the team celebrated by dumping, dumping Gatorade on Peterson's head. Philadelphia went on to win 10 of its 11 games, but Peterson did not – didn't just have to prove himself on Sundays. Let me tell you something. Within the article, it also said that every damn Tuesday that Doug Peterson had to have a sit-down With Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman about why the team didn't do this, that, the third, and the other. When I say that this team, Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, nitpicked Doug Peterson every damn decision that he did. Whether it was a narrow victory, whether we lost, all right? Every damn decision was in question. As a matter of fact, this particular article, this particular part of the article talks about the game that that you went to, Tanner. That game against Green Bay that the Eagles won 34-27 in which it was a very balanced game and the running game was very, very excellent in that game. Apparently, that wasn't good enough. Laurie, who has long advocated the use of analytics, wanted to know why Peterson hadn't called more passing plays. The interrogation was the same after another win that season, this time in Buffalo on a day with 23-mile-per-hour wins. Are you out of your in minds what is wrong with this team seriously and then not to not to keep reading through other parts of this article read it for yourself the athletic they they are excellent I definitely vouch by their work but another part of the article also said that roseman is so power hungry that he does not allow he doesn't want any news leaking without him knowing. Like he and he treats people like crap. And man, we're screwed. <laughs> That's all I got to say. We're screwed. Until until there is until Jeffrey Laurie opens his eyes and sees the damage that is being caused through Howie Roseman, this team isn't going nowhere. Anytime soon, there's been multiple people who has come out of the woodwork and said multiple things about Howie Roseman and the way he works. All right. Lewis Reddick, who used to be in the Philadelphia front office for many of years during the Andy Reid era, before Howie Roseman really got his start, was te- would tell people straight up how Howie Roseman was. It wasn't afraid to say anything negative about them all right there's a reason why we can't always necessarily get the top end free agents in this in this city on this team there's a reason why we always go for the coaches who look like a bunch of yes men all right this is the reason why because Harry Roseman is power hungry he got to go Harry Roseman's got to go I'm sorry he's got to go I'm done I'm done on my rant
2: yeah T I mean I agree with everything you say this, these are not surprising reports um, in, in any way. We knew that Howie Roseman was running the show over Doug Peterson, and then he, of course, had to report to Jeffrey Lurie. But just seeing that Doug Peterson every Tuesday had to meet with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, and they were questioning him about what he did, he was basically just checking up. They were checking up on him every Tuesday, uh, correcting what he did wrong, even if it was a win. Um, which it does happen, but every Tuesday for the the head coach of the football team, doesn't make sense to me. Um, and they're pretty much just babysitting him at, at that point. And, and we saw it when he was at the podium talking. It was very scripted uh, towards the end of the season. They asked about Jalen Hurts. He didn't really give answers for that. But Howie Roseman is, is too selfish to be a GM of this team right now. Um, You you go back to drafting and just bringing up a little fact, 156 straight draft picks. The Eagles have not drafted an Alabama player. Howie Roseman has never drafted an Alabama player. He's letting his opinions take over and he cannot evaluate talent now. Okay. He's good with um, fixing up cap space and he, he wins trades for the most part, but Howie Roseman He, As these reports come in, we're finding out how much of a problem he is and was for this Eagles team more and more. And he's a very disruptive person uh, for this team, we found out. And going ahead in this draft, I'm just even more worried now.
1: In a way, before Max, before you get started, in a way, I now have more understanding as to why Carson Wentz wanted to leave. It was more than just you know, what was going on on the field. It was a a lot of it was behind the scenes stuff that we didn't know at that time. Now I'm not excusing Carson Wentz's play. I'm not Carson Wentz played horrible in 2020. We've discussed this, but things are a whole lot more clearer to me now than it was back then during that whole saga. I now understand. I now have a new light. As a matter of fact, guys, I sent you, um, yesterday on Instagram, a video from a couple of years ago of how Trey Burton, former tight end of the team, also a major part of the Philly special, how he talked about how the structure dynamics within, um within a, a, the couple of organizations that he's been with and how they're different. Like he talked about how the Colts and the bears, you know, there was more communication between each other, but he said something about the eagles that raised my eyebrows and this was something from a couple of years ago guys this wasn't this this, this isn't something that, that that was that's coming out recently along with every everything else this is recent like he went into this, uh, the process of Howie Roseman being in control of everything. And when I say every damn thing, I mean every damn thing. From the structure of the roster to who plays on Sundays. Guys, remember, we used to question whether or not, why the hell was Alshon Jeffrey getting play over Travis Fogum in which Travis Fogum was starting to get hot. There's your reason.
0: We also have to mention that you know, Mike Groh was a part of this team for a while as well. And the report states that Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie gave Doug Peterson an ultimatum at one point saying either it's you who goes or Mike Groh has to go. He has to pick one of those things. Obviously, he chose uh, Mike Groh and Mike Groh was obviously taken out of the organization, so to speak. And Doug Peterson, you know, vouched for him for as long as he could. But eventually, you know, the guys with the more power and the organization obviously win at the end of the day. And another part of it was that Frank Reich, was also on the chopping block uh, before the Super Bowl season. And, you know, thank God that he actually stayed and we made that Super Bowl run and we had the magic in the tank to be able to pull it out. But, Tan, I want to go back to your point about the 156 straight picks from Alabama that, you know, have not been from that university. Why should fans expect it to change? Should they go into this thinking we're not going to pick an Alabama player specifically because there's been so many mock drafts of Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, Patrick Sertan, the Lames go on and on. But should the fan base, should the people that root for the team really try to switch their opinion here and say, okay, it's a new year? Or has it gotten to a point where the definition of insanity, you know, doing and thinking the same things over and over and expecting a different result?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry, but that's just well- too. Go ahead, Doy Tanner.
2: Well, I think we can sort of thank the media for this. I, I think that the, the presence of these stories are going to have a change in decision-making for Howard Roseman, especially. And I do want to see the Eagles draft Devonta Smith because of chemistry. So going on that, you're talking about Alabama. I, 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 I think that in the back of his head, Howie Roseman has a player in mind who is just not talked about. I saw Tyson Campbell at number 12 in a mock draft. I don't even know who that is. I I don't even know who that is. I know he goes to Georgia, but going back to, to drafting a quarter, a cornerback at 12, who is not certain, who is not Farley who is not horn. It's just, I don't understand the decision in that, but Max, back to your question. I think fans can expect a change, but again, how much of a mistake does Howie Roseman have to make for Jeffrey Laurie to be done with it?
1: How much change do you expect? Honestly, Like let's, let's really just sit here and let's think about this for a minute. How much change do you really expect? Like, He's had multiple drafts to change the way he evaluates players, to change the way he goes into drafting players. As a matter of fact, within the article, once again, I'm referring back to the article. In the article, they have scouts that go out, and that's their, that's their specific job, to go out and put together the draft board for the general manager and the owner. And what do they do? Harry Roseman comes up with his own damn draft board. And it completely annihilates the draft, <laughs> the scout team's work. And it's just why would y'all expect anything different? Just, just really, why? Okay. Why? You had the six overall pick at one point in time. You could have picked any damn body as a from a playmaking standpoint of view. Hell. In my opinion, you could have had the best damn receiver in the draft in Kyle Pitts. You didn't have to leave him at tight end. You honestly could have moved his ass to right receiver, and he would still dominate anybody that came up against him. Why? Because this man was pretty much uncoverable. I just finished doing some more doggone, um, doggone doing some more film work. He was going up against J.C. Horn, Patrick Sertain and them, and he was dominating them, dominating them. The top quarters in this draft, they couldn't cover him. But yet still, you took yourself out of that position to get one of those playmakers because of your own damn ego. Why would you expect change at this point, guys? That's all I'm saying. Why Why expect change?
0: Yeah, the, the I think th- there's both there's both sides to an argument here. See, I think one of the things we have to point out is Jalen Rager was just taken in the first round last year. Is Howard Roseman going to be a guy to take a receiver in the first round two years in a row? That's what scares me because I don't think he's a guy that's going to do that my gut feeling tells me that he's going to draft the defensive player. And I think it's going to be a cornerback. Now, which one it is. I'm not too sure. I guess it's going to depend on who falls. Will it be Patrick Sertan? Will it be Caleb Farley? Will it be JC Horn? I'm not too sure, but in my gut, I feel as though he's going defense. He's going cornerback, but my brain tells me what the organization and where we are now, you could always make the argument, play it safe and say, take the best position and the best player available at your spot other than a quarterback, of course. But when you look at this team right now, I think they need help on both sides of the football. And my brain's telling me if Smith or Jalen wild is there, you have to go and take them. But my gut's telling me knowing Howie Roseman and his previous history in drafting, he's not a guy that's going to draft a linebacker such as Michael Parsons. So I'm sorry for those of you out there who might want Michael Parsons on the Eagles. You can I just that. don't see based on draft history and the track record of Howie Roseman that's going to come to fruition. Anything. I just feel like it's going to be a defensive player. I know Devontae Smith and Tanner, again, Alabama, both be both of them, right? Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith, both super talented. Both would be great fits for the Eagles. They would either either them, whoever, which one we take or would possibly would step in here. day want to be the best receiver on the team. No doubt. Hands down. No arguments whatsoever. But right now, if you ask me and what the team not only needs, but the way Howie Roseman Works and I feel like, as us as being fans, being in the city of Philadelphia our whole lives, watching Howie Roseman go through draft after draft and know how he works mentally, at least to some degree, uh, based on the decisions he's made. I think that we can all, in some sort of way, come to the conclusion that he just will not take a receiver two drafts in a row. And if he does, and if he does, that would just be uh, against what we have seen and his draft track history previously, right?
1: It 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 would, honestly. Um though I wouldn't put anything, you know, against him because, you know, a couple of years ago they drafted Arthega Whiteside in the second round and then they draft Jalen Rager in the first round. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's completely against him. My thing is this though. It it, he just goes against common sense. <laughs> Let's be honest here. Um, you discussed it. You discussed it just now, um, talking about how we drafted Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, and we are paying for that right now, where we have question marks about Jalen Rager. And I'm not saying he can't develop into. The player that we expect him to be, and the player that we want him to be, I'm not definitely not saying that. I'm not taking that against him. I'm, I'm definitely pulling for him, and I hope he does turn into the player that we all expect and hope that he would be. But at this current moment, as I'm talking right now, Justin Jefferson was in a running for rookie of the year, having over a thousand yards receiving. All right, Jalen Wrecker struggled to get on the field with injuries. So all I'm saying is, expect the unexpected with Howie Roseman. You never know how to, how this damn draft's going to go down. Once again, I don't think anybody could have expected us to draft Jalen Hurts in the second round last season, but we did. And it caused a whole bunch of controversy too behind it. So expect the unexpected people. That's all I'm saying.
2: I'm not opposed to for the Eagles to draft a cornerback for the first pick at number twelve. The Eagles need help back there. That Darius Slate cannot do it all. He's aging. He gets injured. I um, mean there's going to be games he's not playing, and then the Eagles are going to be stuck. Um, they're, these cornerbacks are going to be going against Michael Thomas, CeeDee Lamb twice a year, Galladay now twice a year. You got all these guys that are just going to burn the Eagles cornerbacks and there's going to be no help for them if they don't, if they don't patch up that cornerback position, that's the last resort right there. And for the Eagles to go and draft a skills player, I wouldn't be mad either. Of course, you need to help out Jalen Hurts. There's no doubt that that would make this team better. Whether this player works out or not, there's still a wide receiver that knows Jalen Hurts. They have chemistry. They know how each other works. That I don't see how that wouldn't work out unless there's more drama. But it seems like that Howie Roseman's taking care of that drama and it's all on him right now. But we'll see how it goes towards the the midway point of the season because that's really when a team needs to pull it together that's really when a team needs to decide which direction they're going in are they gonna is Jalen Hurts not panning out are they gonna have to trade those a couple of those first rounders for a quarterback for next year
1: who knows but I'm not mad at a cornerback being drafted first Hey, hey, Tanner, you said something about building around Jalen Hurts and helping Jalen Hurts. That's if they even believe in Jalen Hurts. There's rumors going around that mm, they're going to use those draft picks to trade up for a quarterback in this year's draft. So take that with a grain of salt, honestly. I mean, we don't know what the hell this team is going to do.
0: Let me ask you guys about one name here real fast that's been swept under the rug here the past few weeks that's kind of been out of the media, who was you know, a pretty big part of it at least about a month or two ago and that's Zach Ertz in the trade discussions that we've seen that's kind of died down as of late. It is April. The draft still hasn't happened yet, but do you guys expect a move to be made with Zach Ertz? You know, we saw rumors of him going to the Chargers. We saw rumors going to the Buffalo Bills, possibly. Neither of those things have happened yet. Is it going to be something that drags into the summer? Is it going to be a draft night deal to get the Eagles maybe back up into the first round, which they're rumored to do in some cases?
1: So that also is a possibility, too. So he, the way his contract is set up, there's a June 1 designation on his contract. So I believe something is going to happen to Zach Ertz before June 1st, whether that be he be traded by June 1st or being released by June 1st. Either way, you know, something's going to happen to Zach Ertz. I I just don't have the faith that he's going to come back this season. And, you know, it is unfortunate considering how great he was in the Eagles uniform and how great he was for us. Sure. I have my complaints about Zach Ertz, but I'm not going to deny what he brought to this team and the amount of attention that he demands from a defense when he's out there. So it's a, it's a shame, but I I do expect something to happen to Zach Ertz. He's not going to be on the team by by the start of next season.
2: Now the Eagles, they were looking for a third day draft pick for Zach Ertz, And I think they're, I think Howie Risman is going to eventually settle for less. It really is depending on the the market at this point. Now, I'm surprised that Zekerts is still on this team, Um, but I I do think that we're going to be, as fans, disappointed in the return back for Zekerts.
0: Now, to wrap up this Eagles point here, and I want to end it on, you know, a more, more of a positive note than what we're accustomed to, at least the past few episodes and, you know, what we've gone through, uh, especially last season as fans in Philadelphia regarding the Philadelphia Eagles. So when I wrap this point up and ask you guys this question before, you know, the draft comes up, Mm -hmm. um, What would be, from now until the start of the season, if you guys want to pick a trade, if you want to pick a draft pick, if you want to pick a position to draft, a position, not a player specifically, to sum things up, what would you, in your mind, leading up through OTA's training camp, up to week one, preseason, what would be a success in your mind as a Philadelphia Eagle fan?
1: Yeesh. That's a that's a loaded question because you know what, (laughs) man. At this point, it's hard to say anything with this team would be a success. But I'm gonna be honest with you: if if they can, if they can bring this team some kind of playmaker, I don't care if that's through the draft, through a trade. I don't care if this team at least brings into camp one playmaker, and he survives camp, and he's a no injuries. And he plays the regular season. For me, that that's a that's a success. And once again, he can't just be a this guy like has to be a contributor from day one. He can't he can't be a guy that's you know on the injury list and you know we don't know the status of his play week in and week out. No, this guy has to contribute from day one. I don't care if it's on the offensive side of the ball or on the defensive side of the ball at this point, but you need some form of a playmaker on this team.
2: Letting Jalen Hurts let loose, um, really develop as a NFL quarterback, that would be a success. Seeing him succeed, seeing Jalen Hurts succeed, lead this team now, albeit he won't have the amount of weapons as of course other quarterbacks getting into the league will. But to sit back and, and don't involve yourself in a position you've never played or have no really you don't really know about in Howie Roseman, I'm talking about wanting to make a, a quarterback factory going back a couple of years. But that's I think Howard Roseman uh, to help this team, he needs to step back and, and let these players play the game. Let the coach coach. Now that's not going to happen because Nick Sirianni is a rookie coach and, and we know who's really pulling the strings in, in that department, but for these players, they don't need the drama. They've already had to deal with it for years and years talking about the veteran players. Every season they've had to deal with it. But for Jalen Hurts, just to let loose, do what he does best, he has a great work ethic. I think he's a great player. And I think Jalen Rager especially, I think this is going to be the year that he's going to prove himself. So I'm excited for that. But Howie Roseman needs to not be involved as much as he is for this team to be successful.
0: Yeah, I think that's a lot of great points. Howie Roseman not being involved is – key as much as you know, he, he has hit? been in previous years. Jalen Breger would be huge, Tanner again, just coming into his own, stepping up. I know the thumb injury, he missed you know almost half the season, a big chunk of it, which kind of hurt any momentum that he could have built, and he missed you know a lot of practice time and things like that. I would love to see him break out because we would certainly need it, especially if we go defense in the first round on that side of the ball. You're going to need them to step up, um, especially if you're, you're not going to be able to bring in a, another name because we don't have any cap space, so you're really going to have to work with what you have Um, And I think if in their minds, if they're going to take a defensive player, will Zach Ertz be here just as almost a security blanket for Hertz, like he was with Wentz to give him some sort of established veteran, you know, stud. So so to speak, you know, you really want, if you're not going to be able to draft an offensive weapon in the first round um, and you want to try to develop Jalen Hurts as best you can, you're going to have to possibly keep Ertz because he would still be your best offensive weapon, albeit a tight end, but you got to give, hurts weapons if you want to surround him with talent and let him succeed at the highest level.
2: Yeah, real quick, I just want to add on to what I said earlier about the cornerbacks really having to deal with the amount of wide receiver talent that they will have to uh, opponent-wise. You have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Keenan Allen, Julio Jones. These are the guys that are going to be running up and down the field all day if the Eagles do not have help at the cornerback position. So that's just more so why I wouldn't be mad that that there's a a cornerback drafted first.
0: Well, gentlemen, only a few episodes left of the Philly experience podcast before the draft comes there in late April. So I know we're all excited for it. I know we can't wait. I just hope we get a name called that we recognize and that we know is good. So that's something you can never bank on with Howie Roseman and the Eagles. But Let's let's transition here and talk about a team that's, you know, part, uh, you know, early on in their season, I guess you could say, right? Only nine games in. The Philadelphia Phillies first place. Oh, yeah! They got rained out the other day against the Mets, who played doubleheader and play four-game series uh, against the New York Mets, who they've seen recently, obviously over last weekend, but... Before we get into the Mets series, we have to touch on these these games with the Braves, right? And we were able to take one out of three. Uh, It's obviously not what you expect considering the first two games of that series were losses with our number two, Zach Wheeler on the mound, our number three, Zach Eflin on the mound. So I think we can all be excited with a six and three record. There's obviously still question marks and there might be question marks in these specific categories throughout the rest of the season, at least until we either make a trade or somebody takes the reins and steps up. And I want to pinpoint the center field position still and start off with that. Maybe even touch on Andrew McCutcheon, who's struggling. He's batting 179. He's still Andrew getting on base McCluch. and taking his walks. Second on the team in walks right now with seven behind Harper with eight. So I guess the first thing to mention here and ask you guys Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley have not gotten a job done in the platoon role out in center field. Is it time to go down to the alternate site? either bring up Scott Kingry, either bring up Odubo Herrera, or is it still too early to
1: tell? Let me tell you something right now. All right, I, I'm sick and tired at this point of looking at Roman Quinn. I am. Roman Quinn is only good when he's on base. Other than that, he is completely useless. Alright? <laughs> like, well, like,
0: listen, it's hard to argue
1: that. Hard to argue that. Like, I'm sorry. Roman Quinn, man. Max, as you quoted at one point in time. Like, Bunch of low-lifes. That's exactly what he is, man. <laughs> Like, you got to get somebody else up in here. I said to Phil, like, you got to call somebody up. We discussed this pre show. Um, they were talking about bringing up Mickey Moniac. They were talking about bringing up Scott Kingery. Hell, Adubal Herrera is even being, you know, looked at as a possible um, as a possible guy to bring up. You got to bring somebody up. Roman Quinn ain't getting it done. All right, it's bad enough. You got Andrew McCutcheon uh, struggling uh, as well, batting, what'd you say, 179. Yeah. It, it it don't help when you have Roman Quinn batting eighth and I in the back of my mind when I when I see him walk up to the plate I'm just like, "Oh, well, that's that's an additional out right there." Like he I know he's not he's not going to get a base hit. He's not going to he's not going to provide any type of a threat. Honestly, you know what Roman Quinn should do at this point. He should just walk up to the plate and just bunt every time. Don't there. Don't swing. Don't swing cuz you're useless when you swing. Just bunt. You got a better chance getting on base when you bunt than you swing. That's just my two cents.
0: Real quick before Tanner, you go. He's hitting 063 on the year and he's slugging 063. That's do you slug. It's been possible almost to slug 063. I mean, <laughs> not only does the guy not get on base at a high clip, but he can't even get to second or third or even hit it
2: out of the park. Because that guy doesn't yeah. know what the hell he's doing. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. Going to the starting pitchers, the the Phillies starting pitchers, they've been getting nicked up lately. I when the I saw a stat when the Phillies pitchers pitch an off speed pitch, they do much worse than just just throwing fastball and a change up sometimes. But again, off speed pitches are not working in the Phillies' favor. But however, forty five percent of the hits are ground balls, so the Phillies are trying to keep, are keeping that ball. Out of the air for the most part. Now, of course, there's home runs, and the Phillies were not sure with that fifth spot in in the starting rotation, and that's really going to be challenging going forward into the second half of the season, especially when you have these guys who are tired, uh, who haven't really been working out. I meant like Chase Anderson and, and more, and you look at these guys trying to prove themselves, but right now, not really doing a lot to put them over the top and to lock up those spots that they're in. Let
0: me ask you this question. When you're watching a Braves game at Truist Park in Atlanta, does the field seem wide to you? Is that just me? I feel like every time a ball's hit in play, there's like 20 feet each way of extra space out in each right field and left field or so Obviously it's not the case, but it just feels that way because I saw multiple balls hit down the line and It might just be because Ronald Acuna was giving us the business all weekend long, but I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just a homer. I just like seeing them seeing them play at CBP a lot better.
1: Yeah, well, CBP is also like a, a hitter's um a hitter stadium as it's it's been called notoriously. So I think that's exactly what it is. It, you, you just miss you just miss the Phillies being home. You miss all those I games do. being oh, home. Oh man, I I'm do, especially with how hot we were. <laughs> yes, we're it's so
0: ex- hot to open up the open up those two series.
1: Exactly, and like I said, like CBP, man, it, you could make an average hitter look an above look like an above average hitter at CBP let's be honest here. So I think that's honestly just you have being having just missing the Phillies being home. Be honest.
2: I'll tell you what, talking about the Phillies being at home. I forgot how great it was just to sit there in the stadium and watch professional baseball, just sitting there all nine innings, T and max. I know you guys like to leave a little early. Hey, Hey, but, Hey, Snatch. <laughs> but it, it was seriously, it was great to walk around the stadium um, I felt safe there. I, I like the, the, you know, of course, everyone's masked up. Everyone's doing their part in it there, and just to finally be out there watching live sports again, it was a great time. And it, now, albeit the pretzels are like seven dollars, and, and and there it goes with concessions. But yeah, Phillies baseball, it, it it was it's great to uh, to watch it come back. Great to be there in person, and I'm excited. For this team now, of course, they dropped three games. People were thinking it was going to be a perfect season, unrealistically. A lot of people, after each win, say that this Phillies team was going undefeated. But, of course, this team is proving how human they are um, in in these past losses. And now Vince Velasquez, that loss, that's all on him, and he, he took the blame for that but going ahead to this the this um the, the Phillies pitchers and the bullpen Max I know you want to mention how Archie Bradley is on is injured mm-hmm. um and this really gives these other guys like Coonrod, like Kinsler the opportunity to more so step in and show their worth in, in this bullpen
1: all right. First off, Max. Before you get into that, first off, I'm gonna get me and Max back. All right. It was cold that day. All right. Let's be honest. That's <laughs> not true. It's not true that we leave think- in the middle of, of games. That's, let's get that out the way right now. It was cold as hell that game, and you know it. All right. That's first foremost. It was cold. It was cold. <laughs> Second-,
2: Second inning. Second inning. <laughs> these guys wanted to pack up the car. I'm hey, just telling everyone. It was
1: cold as hell, and we were not prepared for it. All right. I'm I was
2: not we- prepared. I was wearing a suit jacket. I didn't have. A, I didn't even have a real
1: fluffy jacket or anything. Exactly. I was, I was, that's just, right. I was, we were
2: there. there. We were. There for media, we know it's hard. All dressed up in our in our suits. Exactly, I remember that. Yep.
1: Exactly. It was cold out there. You got to give us some type of credit. All right. But all right, let's get that out there. That's first and foremost. Secondly, all right, I am sick of Vince Velasquez. All right, please, Vince. I don't, see, see, I don't need to see I don't need to see no more Vince of Vince Velasquez. Him so this too. Goes on and on. Y'all already know about Hector Now I'm going on my rant about uh Vince Velasquez. I'm done with him. All right. I'm sick of the potential <laughs> that he shows and then all of a sudden that potential was yanked right up from under my feet. I'm sick of it. It's like Lucy with the damn football. I go to kicking and that some bitch ain't there. I'm sick of it at this point. All right. I am done with Vince Velasquez. Get rid of him. You know what? Vince Velasquez straight up. Just get the f- out get out i'm
0: done yeah well well, will tell you the good news is he hasn't seen the field since that debacle against the the new york mets now listen the crazy thing is he struck out the side in the sixth inning it's like oh who the hell is this guy and then he comes out and he gets four runs in the seventh inning and walks out by four, three or four i don't think you'll have to see him in the phillies uniform much longer the problem is archie bradley goes down with the injury they recall jojo romero who i thought should have made the damn team to begin with the uh, second lefty out of the bullpen. So we'll see if he gets an opportunity to come into games uh, where this outcome. No, there's a double header coming up. So he's probably going to eat some innings, hopefully for the Philadelphia Phillies. But when you look at this lineup, I'm confident in seven or at least six out of the nine hitters. Obviously the pitch doesn't really count, but then you have the center field position where you have the split with Roman Quinn and Adam Hazley. I don't have confidence when they're at the plate. The other guy who we haven't, who we touched on briefly, but Andrew McCutcheon again, hitting 179. He's in the leadoff spot, which is kind of concerning because He doesn't get hits. Now he gets his walks like I mentioned, but he's not on base enough for my liking. Are you concerned at age 34 that Andrew McCutcheon might not have enough in the tank, not only in the future, but specifically this year?
1: Honestly, that's something that they should have started looking at um, once he got that ACL injury. That's That's honestly, in my opinion, like you really needed to start looking for a replacement guy or uh, at least somebody, at least a guy that can play behind him consistently when he, when he gets into these types of zones. Because let's be honest, there even before the ACL injury, you know, he was, he wasn't doing that hot to begin with. So he has these streaks where, okay, he, he might get a base hit here and there, but for the most part, him being in the leadoff spot, that's, that's really disappointing, especially when you're trying to, you know, set the tone early in a game. So it, it's something that should have been looked into a while ago. Be honest with you.
2: I think McCutcheon's tank is, it might be running on empty at this point uh, in the already it's an early, it's the early part of the season, but it was good to see McCutcheon round those bases at the speed he was in the first couple of games. But now we see how he was not already able to keep up with that pace, slowing down, what nine games in and definitely to I see your point wouldn't have hurt to go out and find a replacement last season especially we had guys switching in and out um every game when when he wasn't there and I think this team is going to be okay with having Andrew McCutcheon and having to deal with that flat tire but I think that this team would be much better of course if they went ahead and, and thought ahead for that Andrew McCutcheon situation.
0: Now, what's a bigger concern on the team right now? You value the fourth and fifth starters higher, or do you still think the center field position throughout 162 games because they play every single day and not just the fourth and fifth starters will be more of a concern?
1: Oh man, the center field is definitely more of a concern. I'm not really, I'm, not worried about the fourth and fifth hitters in this lineup. I'm not. It, it's center field. The They tried to uh, start the season with the rotation of Adam Hazley and Roman Quinn, and that's not working out. They're already looking, talking about looking into the minors and looking to grab one of those guys. Like I said before in the beginning of the season, I believe that the center fielder for the Philadelphia Eagles is currently – I mean, not the Eagles, Cheese. The Philadelphia Phillies is not on this team. He, he's not. They're going to have to go out, and they're going to have to trade for him.
2: Yeah, the Eagles actually might need to use a center fielder depending <laughs> on how this draft goes for them. But I'm more concerned in the four and five spot in this rotation because I'm not set on this bullpen. Now, we mentioned how Archie Bradley is going to be out, and that gives Kinsler, Coonrod, and Brogdon a chance. And Brogdon, I would like to see him show it in these games to come, but. The last nine appearances going back to spring training, 13 and a half innings, just four hits, zero runs. I'd like for him to transfer that onto to actual regular game time. But for me right now, it is it is that four and five spot because you want your starting pitcher to stay in at least six innings. And I think so, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. You want I to think see so them too. last.
0: How, how long do you give Matt Moore a leash, though? How many starts do you go before? You know, listen, he went five innings in his previous start against uh, the Braves on Sunday Night Baseball. He gave up. Uh, five runs on nine hits. He didn't walk anybody. his struck out five. But before, I mean, if that trend continues, how long of a leash do you give him, and do you give him to the third, fourth, fifth, sixth start of his you know tenure here as a Philly before you have to pull the plug um, and maybe make a change? Mm.
2: When you start seeing a pattern, you got to give it. I, I say at just maybe one more game, depending on how that game goes. You, if you see a pattern that's really the same, where he's just dropping off after two innings, and it's just. Yeah, You know, it's just getting worse and worse. I, I mm-hmm. think this next game is really going to be pivotal to decide what to do
1: with him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like you said, you, you got to pick up on the pattern before it, it really starts affecting your team. So the earlier, the better.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think you got to pull the plug. And uh, especially with the team that we have this year, the potential that we can create with the players in our lineup and, and possibly at the top uh, of our rotation, clearly. We have a potential to make the playoffs this year, and you can't have weak links like Roman Quinn or more on the team that are really going to hurt you. Now, the bullpen as a whole has been m- much better uh, for the most part. I know Alvarado had uh, a clunker with the whole Gregorius situation, and blah blah blah. That was a, that was just you know I don't know who to blame. We can point fingers all we want. At the end of the day, we're six and three. We're moving forward, um, and I want to now turn the page here and talk about a team who smack dab in the middle of their season coming towards the end, actually and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. You look at the Brooklyn Nets, who it's about uh, are damn tied time. at the top of the first place uh, in, in the standings here with the 76ers, and there's a big game coming up. We have to play them on Wednesday night at home. The Nets and T-Wolves are actually going to go at it uh, today, uh, which is Tuesday, but that could give us a potential advantage going forward because they play in the afternoon. they got to hop on the plane, and they got to fly from Minnesota to Philadelphia without James Harden with a hamstring injury. So, this is a huge matchup because obviously there's a two game swing, depending on what team wins first place in the Eastern conference would be huge because that means we, we would have to, uh, you know, or get to, I should say, avoid the Milwaukee bucks there in the second <gasps> round of the playoffs. When you guys look at this matchup here and B clearly looks like he's back to his normal form with that knee injury. He still has the brace on it, but he looks to be back to being that superstar MVP contender dropping 36 points against the Dallas Mavericks the other night with LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin now being added to an already stacked Nets team. Do you guys really buy into the fact that they're they won't be good enough on the defensive end to stop the Sixers or do you just say they got three hall of famers on their team, the Sixers have to get lucky in order to, you know, pull out a victory not only in this game coming up on, you know, Obviously, one game is different than seven, but also possibly in the
1: playoffs. Max, I told you, over there in Brooklyn, up there in Brooklyn, they built the f***ing Avengers up there. All right, let's be honest here. But their their main thing is to dominate you with their offense. That's their main thing. Where their weakness is, is their defense, in that, one, you can score on this team. I'm not going to say they, they completely don't care about defense, but you can s- score against this team. They're looking at it as their strategy is we're going to outscore you with the number of options that we have to score on your opposing team. That's the thing where I think the Sixers are going to have the advantage because the Sixers do play defense and we do have some defensive players. Max, we discussed this pre-show. You know, we talked about Matisse Thibault and how he stepped up. He's always been a defensive presence, but he's definitely stepped up as of lately. Danny Green has not only stepped up on defense, but he's also stepped up in his offense as well. That three uh that three shots starting to starting to go in now. And I agree. Ben Simmons said something in an interview not too long ago. As a matter of fact, I believe a day or two ago, and he was talking about, you know, the upcoming matchup against Brooklyn. He was basically saying, look, there's one ball. And if we play defense and if we do our job, you know, we're going to get the job done. And I believe that this Sixers team can get the job done. This, this Brooklyn Nets team, they do have weaknesses, as we've seen.
2: Uh, the Sixers team, to me, is better than the Nets team. That's whether they show it or not in this upcoming game. It, it's still up in the air, but they have a, be- a better chance now. James Harden is not playing. Who knows if Kyrie irvin is going to play? I mean, it's really just his decision.
1: <laughs> Kyrie Irving um, doesn't he, even he know decides. if Kyrie Irving doing don't, don't.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Exactly. Now, of course, he is going through personal stuff, too. But for him to be on a team and for him to just be the way he is with wishy-washy and not showing up and deciding when he does that that hurts a team um you chemistry wise too but this team to me max is is a better team than the nets because of defense under doc rivers this is a much better team defensively you got thibel uh playing his best defense of course ben simmons claiming he's defensive player of the year he's kind of it, after saying that, a few games he kind of dropped off. It was because the the um the spotlight was more on him, but and you have of course Embiid and just guys like picking up their pace on the defensive end because they know that's what has to happen. They see these teams ahead of them that which is few, but they see in the overall rankings. I believe it's the Utah Jazz, right? That that is first overall, but they see what needs to be done. They have guys coming off the bench like Furcon, like Shake Milton on the offensive side too that can get the job done. Now the Nets, of course, we mentioned Durant, Harden, Kyrie, not Blake Griffin. Ridiculous squad that they put together. But I don't think that this team's going to be able to stay together as long as the Sixers can. And I think that when something starts going wrong in Brooklyn, fingers are going to be pointed at each other. There's going to be a lot to blame on and they're going to just... Go around blaming each other and not themselves, and that's what's different with the Sixers: accountability. And that's what Doc Rivers brings to this Sixers team: accountability. He's a great coach. He turns this team around, and uh, that's that's going to be the difference maker to me, Max.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. Definitely could not agree more with you. I think with Brooklyn and their star power, we understand that. But the defense is key here. And people say, "Well, you can have all the defense in the world, you're not going to be able to stop." a seven footer that can shoot from 40 feet away and bury every shot. Understandable. Listen, I got that. We know how good they are, and how talented they are. Defense is their issue. Joel Embiid, the key for me because of the fact they have some wing guys, Kevin Durant, obviously uh lanky long defender, regardless of his effort, just being seven foot and as athletic as he is, he's going to cause problems. Yes. The problem is their weakness defensively is in the interior of that paint. And that's where our best player is located in Joel Embiid. So that's why I think it's going to be a problem to stop them. Now, can our three-point shooting be able to stay hot and be able to keep up the pace with at, at least try to match Brooklyn is going to be the question because we've seen Danny Green at times get super hot, knock down the corner three consistently. Seth Curry be able to come off that pick from the top of the key or, or the wing and be able to knock down that three and things like that. Obviously, Shake Milton at times can be able to shoot the three ball, but more of a drive and score on those little mid-range floaters uh, and get to the basket, of course. Cork Moss, another one who's been great lately. He's He's been putting up points off of that bench the last few games that are pretty eye-opening. And if he's able to continue that hot streak with his three-point shooting and just be there in the playoffs, because you know you go through these grueling, grueling seasons year after year after year. Be c- going through the bubble last season, of course, now you're back home. So much has gone into these last you know 14 months for these players. And if you're able to just build some momentum, and get into the playoffs. You really got to take advantage and cherish these opportunities because mm-hmm. once you're out of those playoffs, you got to wait—you know, six months—to just get to the regular season. Then you got to go through a whole other grind of the regular season. That's the thing where you look at, it and they won't do it because they'll lose too much money. But the regular season, in my opinion, is just too long. I mean, at this point, where we are right now, we know who the best teams are. We know that it's the Sixers and Nets, and maybe the Bucks is the third team. We know with the healthy LeBron and AD and Kuzma. The Lakers are probably better than the Jazz, but the Jazz are up there. The Suns, of course, the Clippers. There's seven guys, or seven teams, excuse me, with a chance to win the title, in my opinion. And we know that now. I just think it, 20 or 15 more games down the road, however many we have left, that's just more opportunity to get hurt. It's more you know, wear and tear on the tires, more pressure on Embiid's knee. So I know it's tough because we're really fighting for that first spot. Like if we had a little bit of a cushion, I'd say, all right, let's rest Embiid here and there you really can't because i just i want to take a grasp of that one seed of course this upcoming game is going to be huge but what do you guys think are you you, you are you in agreement with a regular season is probably just a little too long
1: <laughs> max i think you're you're stating this from a selfish point of view i'm going to be honest with you I, i'm going to be
0: selfish man i want a title in <laughs> philly you can't blame me
1: look i no i can't blame you i understand you you're trying to be selfish but you, you got to look at the thing as a whole I, look I do not think that the regular season is, you know, long. It's, you know, the legends, the greats before have played it, and there's been no complaints. And look, man, here's the the interesting part, and here's the reason why I say it's not too long. It's the back end, I think, that's probably the more store the more interesting storyline. Because any one of these guys who are playing from seven through ten, those are the guys that's the reason why. Like for them, this is their postseason. Like this is their chance to really push and get a chance, you know, to get that spot in the playoffs. Especially considering now with the new rule where there's a play in tournament for those um for those teams that are seven through ten. Like if you look at, I'm looking at the Eastern Conference right now. The Bulls are still in play. The Pacers are still in play. The Knicks, who have fought hard all hey, season long, they're in play. Hard, the, the, Bulls, the, the Hornets.
2: You're
0: going to throw the Bulls at me.
1: You're doggone right, I'm going to throw me. the Bulls at you. You're doggone right. All, right. all right, you know what? I ain't even going for it. I ain't even going for it. I am a stand for Zach Levine. I ain't even. <laughs> I am a stand for Zach Levine. Oh, don't don't brother. judge me. Do not judge me. I love Zach Levine. But also look at what look at what's happening in the Western Conference since the injuries to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. The Lakers have started to fall off. Now if they fall to the seventh seed. Now they're going to have to participate in the playing tournament in order to make the playoffs. All right. That knocks, that knocks another team up the rankings. All right. You're, here. It is the Lakers who are ob- the obvious expected team to go to the finals. Now they're going to have to fight and claw and nail for every single for every single game that they need. That's why I just say no. Don't don't touch the regular season, Max. You're being you're being selfish, Max. Don't be selfish. Don't be. selfish. Three and a half
0: games. Three and a half game cushion the Lakers have over that seven seed. They're fifth right now. If they if they lose and get on a roll here on a losing streak, possibly without their two best players, it's possible. I can't see it. I don't think the NBA will allow it. The refs will start calling fouls on every other team <laughs> that they play and make sure that they don't have to play in the playing game. But we'll see.
2: Now. Going deeper into this Dallas win, and it was really the second-half shooting that propelled the Sixers um, in this win, and really locking down Luka. Not so, of course, he he scored 32 points. He wasn't fully locked down. But to have him aggravated over there, really struggling with the field goal percentage, too, we kept Brunson, Finney-Smith. The Sixers. I, I wasn't out there on the court, but the Sixers <laughs> kept those three their top scores um, at fifty percent or lower, uh, field goal wise. Luca two of seven from the three. Bronson, I believe he went oh, oh for three, and uh, Finney Smith two of seven. So these guys were locked down perimeter wise, and you go to you go to guys like again. Furcon Korkmaz can we just talk about him for a second oh. he's just impressive oh, and I know Max that's not your fi- <laughs> that's not your favorite player that is not your favorite player but you got to sit back and admit well maybe I was a little too hard because there's guys like Danny Green out there who are who play worse than him at a on a stretch of 10 games and he is really becoming a valuable piece of this team. And for the people listening, Max right now is, and he has his head down and he's, he's shaking his head because he knows it's true. He knows it's low true. And also, we know how true it is because, Max, when we post those score animations on our Instagram... It, guy, Korkmaz alone gets three hundred views on his post, so there's definitely a strong fan base behind him. But going <laughs> you to shape Milton you? too, disruptive. He's playing disruptive, and these guys coming off the bench—that's what—that's what is important for a team going into the playoffs. Having a strong bench, having them show themselves. And I mentioned Matisse Thybul playing his best defense. You go against OKC; he had three steals in six minutes, and just impressive. And yeah, the, the chemistry you can see develop each and every game more and more, especially when Joel Embiid's out there because he brings the team together. And now I know people are upset. Ben Simmons gets like, what, six points in this game, but he is doing his part now. He doesn't have to be the flashy every scorer, but instead of going around people now, he goes through them. And I think that's that's what Doc Rivers talked about a lot and also want to bring up Doc Rivers on on Furkey he said great rhythm he's taking the shot he should take and he's not trying to be fancy you know dribbling around he's getting right to business he's shooting right away he ca- he catches and releases that ball right away and just paying attention to um Doc Rivers post game and I want to hear your guys thoughts on this yeah. a reporter asked about their next game matchup in post game Doc Rivers sitting there and he's talking and this reporter is asking about their matchup against brooklyn and doc Rivers sits there and says which is uh, this is obviously cap because this is he says that he didn't even know that they were playing the brooklyn nets next game he thinks about that <laughs> we know it's hard lane ride <laughs> over and that's that's cap that, you know doc rivers it, it, the players know it doc rivers knows that they have the brooklyn nets coming up i just wanted to hear your guys thoughts on that Because
1: at the end of the day it's about business man we we just we we taking care of business. We on to the next one. We don't care who it is. We don't care how big the matchup is. We don't. That's care ridiculous. How, we don't care Tate. how everybody. Else. He listen, said
2: he sat there and said he was not thinking about playing the Brooklyn. But, Nets. but
1: you can't have that mentality. You, can, you can't have that mentality of, you know, oh, I'm worried about this team. That's why. That's why a lot of teams mess up on when they're playing a team one night because they're looking forward to playing a super team the next night. You can't do that. You got to take it one game at a time. I respect his answer. I do.
0: To wrap this up, guys, I think, first of all, Furkan Korkmaz, keep on my dude. I mean, 20 points, <laughs> back-to-back games off the bench. That Cheer stroke is looking solid, man. I tell you what, uh, the three-point basket is going to be needed. It's going to be needed, man. We need to be able to hit the three-point basket in order to beat the Brooklyn Nets because that's where we're looking. I'm looking ahead. See, screw the regular season. I'm looking ahead <laughs> to the playoffs, baby. Let's get this team rolling from the three-point line. Matisse I will step it up on defense. This team is perfect. It's the best Sixers team that we've seen in a long time. You want to make the Jimmy Butler argument a few years ago, fine, but I'm talking about everybody has a role on this bench right now. They fit in perfectly. George Hill, let's hope we get him back before, you know, uh the the playoffs, which he says he will be, and we'll we'll be ready to rock and roll. With that being said, T. I think that's the end of it. Let's shut it down. All
2: right. Well, hold on. I just good. want to bring up one more quote to leave these really? fans. All I right. paid attention. I, t- Tanner, be I good paid quote. attention. It better be good. I'm cutting you off, T. <laughs> I'm cutting you off. T. Got more content. I was playing a you know, couch reporter at the end of this game, because I was listening to these questions and a response that really got to me talking about looking ahead to the next game, uh, completely opposite of doc rivers. But when asked if this Nets Sixers rivalry can develop back into, you know, bad blood between these teams, but a really good solid rivalry, Ben Simmons said, maybe if this team, if they keep the same team, but, they're looking to take out the champions and that's the Lakers. And that's what Ben Simmons said.
1: And that's the mentality that they need to have to be successful. All right. If y'all missed any of this excellent program, you can always go to Philly dash experience. That's simplecast.com. We are available on all major downloadable platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify. You can catch clips on our Instagram at the Philly experience. Follow us on Twitter at the Philly EXP one on Twitter and yes, we will be doing a live draft reaction show in a couple of weeks from Thursday. And in case that you haven't noticed, it's going to be an interesting one, ladies and gentlemen. So stay tuned.
0: For course, boss, baby, keep it rolling.
2: <laughs> Get ready for a kicker drafted in that number 12 pick. <laughs> he needs to learn how to wrap that thing up.
1: Get off the box not go on it, Max. I'm sick and tired of you derailing this show. You dumbass. I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care.